Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 49 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story, but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. You'll find out why in a minute, but it's fitting that our sponsor for this week is Guadalupe Roastery. These guys are the real deal. Not only is their coffee excellent, but their mission is to empower farmers to support themselves and their families by bringing you the most directly sourced cup of coffee possible. So head on over to GuadalupeRoastery.com and get a couple of pounds for you and a friend. Listeners to the Popecast can use the promo code POPE, P-O-P-E, at checkout and get 10% off, so be sure to enter that. Once again, GuadalupeRoastery.com and the word POPE at checkout. Thanks again to Guadalupe Roastery for sponsoring this episode. And now, for why that is a fitting sponsor. Our Pope this week had barely been a priest for 10 years before being elected at age 55. He had one of Catholicism's great Renaissance saints as his confessor for three decades, and, oh yeah, he's the one who brought the Cup of Joe to the Western world. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope who baptized coffee, Pope Clement VIII. Ippolito Aldobrandini was born February 24, 1536, in the northern Italian town of Fano, to a prominent family that hailed originally from Florence. His father was a renowned lawyer and judge, a career that the young Aldobrandini would follow himself after coming of age. Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, the grandson of Pope Paul III, gave the money to put him through school. He studied for stretches in Padua, Perugia, and Bologna, after which the venerable Pope St. Pius V, the family patron, welcomed Aldebrandini into his curia initially for what would become a long and distinguished career under several popes. Around his late thirties, the future pontiff met a future saint, the Italian priest Philip Neri, who would be a close friend and confessor to him for nearly thirty years. In fact, at the end of his life, St. Philip Neri broke one of his own rules— to blackmail Clement, in a good way, we promise, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Interestingly enough, Aldebrandini didn't actually become a priest until age 45. Prior to that, he'd served mainly as a canon lawyer, as well as a judge on the Roman Rota, the Vatican's highest court. He continued in that role for four more years when, in 1585, Pope Sixtus V tapped him to become a cardinal. The following year, Aldebrandini was named Major Penitentiary, and put in charge of the Apostolic Penitentiary, which is not, as one might imagine, the Vatican prison, but instead is one of Rome's three tribunals, specifically the internal forum, the one that handles internal issues like those who have been excommunicated, issuing indulgences and absolving or dispensing sins that are exclusively reserved to the Holy See and go over the head even of a bishop, things like defiling the Holy Eucharist, a priest breaking the seal of the confessional, things like that. So that was now Cardinal Aldebrandini's job for a couple of years, before Sixtus sent him off to Poland as his papal legate or ambassador. While there, among other things, the cardinal was able to negotiate the release of Archduke Maximilian, the defeated claimant to the Polish throne, and a Habsburg, who had been thrown in prison after trying to become king. That effort won for Aldebrandini the eternal gratitude of the ancient Austrian royal family. Barely four more years would pass before Aldebrandini's number was called. Though he had only been a cardinal for seven years, he had participated in no less than three conclaves before the one that resulted in his own election. It was a rough stretch for popes in the early 1590s. 
He had been a leading candidate in each one of those due to his renown among his fellow cardinals, but after his boss Sixtus V, still somehow three popes, Urban VII, Gregory XIV, and Innocent IX, all collectively reigning barely 16 months before he got the call. The biggest interest among the cardinals in the conclave of 1592 was to free the papacy from Spanish interests. As the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, quote, he was the unwilling candidate of the compact minority of cardinals who were determined to deliver the Holy See from the prepotency of Philip II of Spain. His election was greeted with boundless enthusiasm by the Italians and by all who knew his character, end quote. Taking the name Clement VIII, apparently because it was the least political of potential papal names at that moment in history, he would sit in the chair of Peter for precisely 13 years and one month. Clement's papacy was mostly roses, but with a few thorns. He was known to have been blameless in morals throughout his life, prayed and fasted constantly, and in general, tended to care more for the spiritual interests of the church, or at least excel at them, likely thanks to his relationship with St. Philip Neri. During his pontificate, Clement made a point to visit every single education and charitable institution in Rome, eradicating any abuses he found there and ensuring that each was running according to its proper discipline. One of his first acts as Pope was publishing what's known as the Clementine Vulgate, a new edition of St. Jerome's original Latin translation of sacred scripture from the 4th century. Sixtus V, Clement's old boss, had created the Sixtine Vulgate, or Sixtine, a couple of years earlier. That's S-I-X-T-I-N-E, not the number 16, of course, as the original revision. But Clement wasn't much of a fan. Now, historians dispute whether it was printing errors or just maybe a hatred or dislike of of Sixtus that caused Clement to change it, so we can just leave that one to the imagination. In any case, Clement's edition of the Vulgate was revised twice more over the next five years, and the resulting product, the resulting Clementine Vulgate, which Clement decreed that every subsequent edition must be assimilated to that one, was the official Bible of the Catholic Church all the way up until 1979, almost 400 more years, when Pope St. John Paul II promulgated the Nova Vulgata, or New Latin Vulgate. Though his spiritual side seemed plenty up to snuff, especially for a Renaissance Pope, and for the last Pope of the Counter-Reformation, Clement's administrative side left a lot to be desired. But at least for those first few years, his friendship with the aged Philip Neri proved helpful for European politics. As a bit of background, St. Philip Neri was the founder of what became known as the Congregation of the Oratory, a community of diocesan priests, he himself was one, who lived in communities, studied together, and conducted works of charity around Rome, to give a very simple explanation. Part of the rule, though, that governed their community was staying out of political affairs. But Philip would break his own rule in the last couple of years of his life in order to save his old friend from embarrassment in France from a potential civil war. From before Clement's time, Rome's relationship with Henry IV of France, the originally Protestant king there, had become a bit strained. Henry had been excommunicated in 1589 for being a Calvinist, as orchestrated by the Spanish forces in particular, despite him being the legitimate claimant to the throne. There's obviously lots of other details there that we don't have time to go into. But at any rate, by 1593 and Clement's papacy, Henry had renounced his Calvinism, and yet the Pope was still chilly towards the idea of welcoming even the king's ambassador. So it was here that apparently Philip stepped in. See, Philip had ceded the duty of confessor that he'd held for 30 years to his number two, 
the future Cardinal Caesar Baronius. When, when Clement was elected, Philip passed that duty along to Baronius. So when he got wind that the Pope's intransigence could cause Henry to relapse and reignite a civil war in France, the saint instructed Baronius to withhold the Pope's absolution until he lifted the ban on Henry IV and welcomed him back into full communion with the church. Clement, needless to say, followed his old friend's advice. Clement's other administrative relentlessness involved putting the kibosh on thievery in several papal papal territories and having no mercy on misbehaving Roman nobility. And in particular, he also refereed a dispute about grace and free will that was raging between the Dominicans and the Jesuits at the time. Insert religious order joke here. Now, toward the end of his papacy, apparently around the year 1600, was what many today may call the crowning moment of Clement's reign. As the story goes, at that time, coffee had finally made its way to Rome, having been up to that point primarily an Islamic delight in the East for several centuries. Many of Clement's advisors recommended banning the substance outright. It had, after all, been seen to allow people to stay sober, unlike their post-work wine or ale, while also giving them immense energy and thus could maybe, just maybe, lead to plotting against the government or other nefarious things. This was a real thing, apparently. But in any case, by some divine inspiration, the Pope decided to try a sip before making a decision. It's said that after tasting the blessed beverage, he exclaimed, Why this devil's drink is so delicious, it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. As Clement grew older, he became increasingly more immobile being crippled by gout in his feet and hands, but his workload never let up. As the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, his powerful intellect grasped all the needs of the church throughout the world. He entered personally into the minutest detail of every subject which came before him, end quote. Clement became suddenly ill on February 10th, 1605, and never recovered. After declining over the course of those three ensuing weeks, Pope Clement VIII died on March 3rd, 1605, just after midnight. He was initially buried in St. Peter's Basilica, but Pope Paul V, his immediate successor, had an ornate mausoleum constructed inside the Basilica of St. Mary Major in Rome, where his remains lie to this day. Well, that's a wrap on this bio of the Pope who baptized coffee. Just a couple other things to note here before we close things out, before you close your podcast app. The fact that you're listening to the show and have gotten this far says you seem to be enjoying yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if that's true, would you consider joining us on Patreon as a supporter for just a dollar or two per episode or more? I'm not going to make a comparison to it replacing just one cup of coffee a month or something along those lines because coffee deserves more respect than that. Let's be honest, but we'd still love your support and you can check out the various tiers at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Your patronage helps cover things like our hosting costs, the ability to produce these new episodes, plus patrons get things like early access to new episodes and other great freebies depending on your per episode tier. So check it out at patreon.com slash thepopecast. If you haven't already, also please subscribe, rate, and review the Popecast over at iTunes. And then as soon as you're finished listening, be sure to hit that share button on your podcast or Spotify app and text this episode to a friend that you think might like it too. A little challenge here. But speaking of reviews, a big thanks to LT West, our latest reviewer over at iTunes. LT West gave a generous five stars and says, amazing to learn about each Pope and sainted Pope. So thanks again to LT West for that uh, great review. If you leave a review at iTunes, we'll be sure to read it out at the end of the show on future episodes. Of course, thanks again to our sponsors over at Guadalupe Roastery. 
Once again, that's GuadalupeRoastery.com and the promo code Pope at checkout. And one last thing, be sure to give us a follow if you're not already on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at the Popecast. Between new episodes, we post daily Pope quotes and old photos. Uh, but let's be honest, it's mostly John Paul II and Benedict because those are the most photogenic um, and there's the most <laughs> photos of those because they're the most recent. But in any case, thank you again for listening. And as we go today, let us think of Pope Clement VIII every time we take a sip of coffee eh? and pray in thanksgiving for the great gift of Java. Until next time. <laughs>